Hey guys, good morning. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad we are on this journey together as we're kind of, it doesn't feel like spring's coming. I promise, uh, I think that it is. Uh, but uh, we're on the journey to, uh, to Easter, which is, uh, I think, in springtime, not wintertime. Uh, and uh, through the journey of Lent, as we read scriptures and kind of find ourselves in the story of Jesus that walk really to the, the cross and then to the empty tomb, we really kind of go on a journey. And that's where we find Jesus today, where we find his disciples today, and really where we find ourselves on a journey that... <clears throat> Uh, well, it just it continues to open us up to God's work in our lives. And sometimes that's something we really think we're kind of signed up for, like those disciples of Jesus, when they say yes to him, surely good stuff's going to happen. And then there are days like this, as we read in John 9, where the disciples really kind of open up a can of worms and reveal that they just still don't get it. I find myself in that kind of back and forth all the time. And so Lent is a season that creates space for that to be all right and for us to undo some things so that we can let God put them back together. Uh, and today's scripture is like that. Got to thinking about uh, what, what this scripture, you know, it's a long one, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that, long one. Um, what, what it gets into and, you know, kind of the assumptions behind it. I think one of the first ones that we all bring with us today and really uh, kind of carry around with us is the assumption that there's a reason for stuff, why it happens. And that got me thinking about a song from 1970 that John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote uh, called, have we got any rock and roll historians here? Uh, we do, actually, uh, called Instant Karma. Anybody heard, heard of this song before? I was born in 1976, so this is before my time. But um, the words of, of the, the chorus of that song, anybody know this song, by the way? Is it, how obscure is this? Pretty obscure. So um, uh, it, it says, instant karma is going to get you, going to knock you right on the head. You better get yourself together. Pretty soon you're going to be dead. Now, that's not a very uplifting song, is it? But I think more than anything, the reason I, I kind of, I, I got to think, and I've heard that phrase before, where, where does it come from? So John Lennon, of course, source of a lot of things. Uh, I don't know that we've maybe that idea has picked up, uh, you know, that song at least. But the internet took the idea and has done some things. The idea of, of, of karma and then instant karma is something that we kind of have some familiarity with. Uh, now, uh, as an aside, karma itself is, this is generally not, uh, something we kind of throw out there. We kind of actually use the word and don't know what it means. Karma is part of an Eastern, the Eastern religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, uh, and it has to do with the idea of reincarnation. I don't know if, if you know this, but we, we kind of use it to mean like people get what they deserve, right? In their world, uh, what it means is that your good actions or your bad actions put you in the cycle either up or down in reincarnation, and the goal of good karma is eventually you get freed, get launched from the cycle of rebirth and disconnected from this world. So karma and the law of karma is how you escape this world, which is the exact opposite of what we mean when we talk about God's work in the world, when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus. What we say is actually not, the goal is not to get launched out of the world, but to get launched into it, to, to go into the center of it. What we find is Christ at the very center of our world, in the midst of even the brokenness of the world, redeeming it and restoring it. And that's the thing. And I mentioned that because uh, what we find in the story is the very thing that we say is the thing is the thing that trips up almost everybody in the story. We'll get to that. 
But that's, not, that's sort of an aside because that's not how we use karma, is it? When we talk about karma, we, what we mean is people get what they deserve. Like things, things work out like they're supposed to. And instant karma is that it happens as quickly as possible, which we kind of like, don't we? We kind of like that idea that people will get what they deserve as quickly as possible that will be there to see it. I got to thinking again, the internet has taken this and run with it. So I looked up some instant karma pictures uh, or little gifs on the, the, the internet and found some. So here's one guy trying to tip his dog into the lake. Let's watch it twice. Why do we enjoy that so much, right? Like he just, oh, he just gets what he deserves. Okay, there's another one. This is great. Uh, these people built their snowman on a uh, tree stump and somebody thought it'd be fun to ram their car into it and knock the snowman over. Not so fun now, huh? Instant karma. All right, this guy is gonna rob the, the, the gas station. He puts a $20 bill on the, table, on the counter so that they'll open up the drawer and then steals the drawer, leaves and forgets his 20 and there's only 15 bucks in the drawer. He's paid $5 for the privilege of robbing you. Right, so there's a couple bunny ears, one so like, yeah, so the shadow kind of, ha ha. And then even more poetic. <laughs> there are a lot of bunny ear ones, though, I don't know why. And this one, uh, the guy throws a, a, a rock at the windshield, a brick at the windshield, and it bounces and hit him, hits him himself in the head. That's a little darker, I guess, but back to John Lennon's song, maybe that's why. Why do we like this idea so much that people get what they deserve? And I think it's because deep down we want the world to be a fair place. All of us had this line with our parents, that's not fair. And all of our parents said, life's not fair, right? So eat your broccoli or clean your room. Life's not fair. So that's what you get when you try to knock over a snowman with your car. It's, gonna, it's not going to always work out. Life's not fair. But I'm not sure that that message took with most of us because there is this deep human thing, this deep human need for justice in the world. And for us to exist in the world, we think we have to live in a world where the dots connect, where uh, the, 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 uh, the action has an equal and opposite reaction and that we'll, get, get there to, we'll be there around to see it. Like we'll have some way of, uh, of verifying that the world is a just place. And uh, maybe we like the idea of karma or instant karma uh, because, in truth, we don't always get to see when people get what they deserve. So when, when the space between the action and the reaction is close together, we just sort of feel more at peace in the world, if you want to think of it that way. And when, when that space grows, we're going to struggle because we like the world to be a fair place. We, we have a sense that the world is a just place and should be a just place. And so karma, the reason I kind of bring that up because like we want the universe's help with that, right? We, we want the universe to take care of that for us. We don't necessarily need to be in charge of it, but we would like to be there to see it when it happens. We would like God to be in charge of this justice thing. And we'd like to be around when he brings it. So, you know, confession time. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving, and I'm a recovering road rage. I mean, like, I'm, it's not bad. I've never, like, hurt anybody. I've never, but I've yelled at some people. 
And my, my family always says, you know, they can't hear you, but we can, you know, that kind, that kind of thing. So uh, you need to know my daughter, Sarah Grace, SG, uh, has no patience with me about this. She has no problem. She's 16, and she has no problem calling me out. And so I take her to school several days a week. We're on the way to school, making the turn off of Chestnut, Chestnut at First Baptist, uh, right there um, onto Broadway. And I didn't turn fast enough, apparently, for the car behind me. Didn't turn fast enough. You know, it's a little tight right there if you've done that, right? So I'm not going to, I'm in a truck. Uh, so I was not going fast enough. The car behind me, I hope it wasn't one of you all. Um, the car behind me starts honking on the horn and kind of going crazy. And like, literally, it's been two seconds. I, uh, so um, I, you never know how you're going to react when people kind of start going crazy. And so I, I did what any sane people will do, I would do. I just hit the brakes and sat there. Yeah, you're not going to honk at me and make me go faster, right? That's probably not the best thing. Um, and what they did was they just, like, which Bane's like shaking his head at me like, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, he just zipped on past me and took off down the road. And I realized that I, I could say something or I could turn to my daughter who would call me on it. And I, and I said something to the effect of, well, I guess, honey, he just had someplace he needed to get to. I'm going to let it go. And she very flatly says, I'm so proud of you, Dad. So we're on the way to school. We live downtown. We're headed to Greenwood High School. It's been a, a mile or two. And as I look up on the horizon, police lights. And I'm like, yeah, I've let this go. Uh, but then I, the, in my, my head, I thought, well, maybe it's them, maybe it's not. What are the chances that, that person got what they deserved, right? Not very high, actually. We, it, it could be anybody at this point. And I, so without thinking and without realizing, I voiced a prayer out into the world. Dear God, let it be him. <laughs> and Sarah Grace goes, Dad, you were so close. <laughs> what is it about this thing uh, that, that trips us up? And that's, that's all of that to say, like, we all get tripped up. And that is that is what we find in John 9. As the disciples ask, is it the man or his parents who sinned, who did the injustice, who, who is it that did it so that this person is getting what they deserve? Now, that is a tragic and terrible thing to say. It's a terrible thing to say. But if we're honest, we all do this. And sometimes we do it to ourselves. When something bad happens, we our sense of justice kicks in and we, without even realizing it, say, I, I must have done something. God must be punishing me. It's not just always outward, is it? Sometimes it's inward. You know, um, you know sometimes we, we have to remind ourselves that we talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to anybody else. So um, that, that sense of justice kicks in and it trips us up and happens a lot of different ways. Who sinned? this man would be born blind. You notice that it wasn't a question of if for the disciples. This was the assumption they brought to the story. And they're just looking for Jesus to help clarify their theology. They're asking G Jesus to help them connect the dots and the world that they've already constructed. That he, they're trying to help him 
have him help them navigate their mental maps. He's not to give them new mental maps, but help them navigate the course that they've already laid out. We know that that's not really what Jesus is here for, right? They made the assumption. We find out later that the, the Pharisees make the same assumption, the religious leaders, the religious folks. And generally, there are two ways to think about the Pharisees. One is to say, man, those people just really, really miss the point. And they are other, they're Jewish, they, 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 they were the thing that Jesus was against. Or we could say they're kind of like us. And the more deeply we get into this God thing, the more prone we are to act like they act. So uh, what, we, what we did this morning was had um, later read 25 verses in John 9. But here's the thing, the story didn't stop there. It goes on for nine more verses back and forth. I mean, it was a lot to sit through, right? It was a lot to read. And, and so here's where the story concludes in John 9, 34. As they've hauled this guy in a couple times to talk to him. To this they replied, you blind man were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. So they and the disciples have the same assumption that just somebody is getting what somebody deserves as part of a world that is just. So let's just make this clear. There are eight verses in John 9 in which Jesus heals the man. And there are 26 verses, if my math is right, 26 verses of trying to figure that out and where it fits into the world that they've already created. What's that tell us? So what did I say about the whole point of the incarnation is that we get to see God restore people, heal people, come into people's lives and do powerful things. That this is the, the, the thing that we have, the hope that God comes into the middle of it to redeem it. And how, how much of the, 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 the story is about that is pretty small compared to how much we're trying to figure out how that works. Figure out where that fits. How do we explain it? How do we justify it? So uh, Jesus heals a man. They haul him into interrogate him. Tell us who healed you. Were you really blind? We don't think you were. We're going to bring your parents in. The parents are like, oh, don't ask us. Ask him. They bring the man back in a second time, all because the act of healing didn't fit into their theology, what they believed to be true about God. And so instead of saying, hey, maybe I should rethink how I think about God, they've got to fit him into what they already have going. People don't heal people on the Sabbath. There's their assumption. People don't work on the Sabbath. And so this, this act of healing has happened as Jesus has done work. Do you know what the work was? The, the making of the mud. Like he made mud. Well, that's, that's work. So that doesn't count. So clearly it can't be from God because it doesn't fit what we already think about God. Now, as you heard that story, did, did you kind of, like, as I read it the first time a couple weeks ago, um, all the way through, I thought, you know, the thing that just leaps off the page for me is, like, didn't somebody get excited about this? Like, wasn't there somebody waiting to give the dude a high five? Like, hey, hey, maybe this is a good thing for you? What struck me is how little they actually saw the person. He, he wasn't a person. He was, he was someone who needed to fit into their world. Somebody should have 
maybe even his parents, they don't seem too excited. They feel like afraid that they've somehow broken the rules because God doesn't fit into the box. And they fuss at him, and it's crazy. But before we start casting ourselves into the story in the role of Jesus, we typically ought to step back and say, how do we do this? And I think it's pretty common for us to struggle with this, actually, how God's work fits into our assumptions. And one of the great Lenten themes is that it doesn't, that he doesn't. That, in fact, we're going to have to rethink some things. We're going to have to reflect on ourselves. We're going to have to try to understand and then act according to a new mental map. And there's a reason we do that, because we, we, we struggle with this, because we want to hold on to this idea that God is just. And that's, that's okay. But also, I think we want to hold on to the idea that we get to see it when it happens. Like, we get to pull up on the car, and it actually is the guy that's cut us off in traffic. And we get to smile and wave in the, in the blue and red lights flashing. At the end of the day, we'd like to preserve the sense that God is sovereign and God is good. And the space between those two things isn't very far apart. And right there in the middle is, a, of a, is, is us being able to see it. But here's what always happens when we do that. We make the God thing about us. We make it about our way of thinking about God. We make it. It's a very subtle thing, right? But we make it God about our mental map about God. And that's where we get tripped up every time. We also kind of take the role of God. We want to be there when it happens. And the truth is we don't, we don't get that. And that stinks sometimes. But God doesn't join our side to enforce our sense of world order, does he? If that's what the disciples thought they had signed up for, Jesus is going to disappoint them over and over and over and over again. And if that's what we thought we signed up for, then maybe maybe we're going to be disappointed as well. Someone sat in my office several years ago and said, hey, listen, I don't write what's in the Bible. I just enforce it. We all struggle with this. But what we see in the Pharisees is the thing that we should all be concerned about as we're trying to build a way of thinking about God is that God will never fit into that, to that box. And I think Jesus probably is smacking his head with the disciples again and again because they don't see the man right in front of them. Notice that Jesus doesn't give them a framework to make sense of the world, but a call to love that world more deeply. Uh, if we're trying, this is like a very subtle thing, but if we're trying to do this so that we can be a good person, that's still, that's still about us, right? To be a person who gives their life away in service to others, that's, that's the goal. It's, it's the selflessness of letting God be God and we're here for it. We're, 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 we're here for it uh, when, when God doesn't do it the way we want to, the, the way we want him to. And I think ultimately, as we think about Lent, one of the challenges of the spiritual journey is the discovery over and over and over again that we don't love people as much as we think we do. That we, that we don't want to enter the messiness of this world. That we would rather have karma than incarnation, actually. That we're kind of looking for our way to disengage so that we don't have to hurt with the world, that we don't have to struggle through things, that we don't have to deal with the tensions and the complexities of real people 
so that we don't have to actually see the person in front of us. And Jesus again and again and again says, no, this is, this is what it's about. It's about entering into the suffering of the world and restoring it and then celebrating as it happens. And so Jesus says the point is not who sinned. The point is that God's work could be seen in him. Verse 4, he says, we must work the works of the one who sent me. In fact, as long as it's still day, the night is coming when nobody can work. That word work in Greek is one that I point to often uh, because it, it, just is, it just reminds me of what we mean by that, that we must work the work of the one who sent me. Jesus is talking about, uh, the, uses the word dunamis, which uh, is where we get the word dynamic and the word dynamite. The point being, like, there's something powerful at work here, and if we don't, if we're not careful, we're going to miss it. That there's an opportunity right here in the midst of human suffering to see true restoration, and that's the thing. And in fact, we got to get to that. He said, we need to get to this while we still can. And so Jesus scoops up the dirt in the cre- as God did in the creation of the world, informing Adam, and he bends down and grabs that dirt and spits into it and And the same dynamic, creative possibility heals him. And for the man, well, that's the only thing that matters, isn't it? Like of all the questions and all the things that kind of spin around him, like that's the only thing that really matters. And when it's you, that's the only thing that really matters. For Jesus, it's always the thing that matters. And so in all those attempts to understand him and understand what's going on, it don't really matter. So here's a question I want you to think about or, or a way of thinking about it. We can try to understand the darkness or we can just get to work shining the light. That's what this story is about. It's just like while there's an opportunity, let's see God's work, this dynamics possibility in, in this person in front of us. Because that's the only thing that matters. John 9, 24, second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. And now now I see. These words, of course, were picked up by the hymn writer and former slave trader, John Newton. I was, was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. This is just a witness to the dynamic possibility of God in the world. All that mattered to the man is that he had been restored. And this is the very thing God wants to do. And so in this season of reflection called called Lent, let me give you some ways of thinking about how you join that. First question is, how am I stuck trying to understand the darkness rather than simply shining the light? In a simpler, similar way, question two, what particular person, situation, or injustice trips you up from acting faithfully? Let me tell you my version of this. Um, I, I like the, you know, the, th- the things we do to have positive results, right? I like to, to give inputs and see outputs. I want to know how what I do matters. And so that's great whenever it all kind of works out. But when you put the inputs in and it doesn't give you the right output, then I struggle. Anybody relate to that? Like, hey, I just want it to work out. I want to do good things and I want to have good results. And that seems like a very noble thing. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, sometimes I get tripped up. 
And instead of just continuing to offer myself to the world, to God, to his calling, I kind of take a step back or get discouraged or hold back. Someone uh, has said that, you know, basically a good portion of what we offer to God is going to get undone. (laughs) We might as well accept that. That in fact, that we don't, we don't bring the kingdom of God. And this is actually Leslie Newbegin. And he said, in fact, what we do is our, our actions are, are, are enacted prayers offered up to the kingdom. We just offer them up to God and let them go. And they're his, because the, it's his kingdom anyway. It's his thing anyway. It's his restoration anyway. But if I'm honest, I, I struggle doing that. And I think maybe you do too, because we want to be there when it happens. We want to see the good thing happen. Not just when somebody gets what they deserve when it's bad, but when, when they get it when it's good, we want to be there. But sometimes we don't. And that should in no way hold us back from continuing to do our part. Third question, how is God undoing some things in you so that you can see new possibilities? This is the painful part. If we could just skip the cross and go to the empty tomb, it would be a lot easier. But God's work in us is to undo some things to not work with our existing mental maps, to not put us in a box. You know, I've joked about this, but you know, for the video, they've got me in a box up here, right? And my job is to proclaim that God doesn't fit in a box, but I'm gonna stay in one. But this is what happens on the spiritual journey again and again. God takes apart something, takes our mental map apart, and then gives us a new map so that we can more and more, like Jesus, offer our lives in loving service and sacrificial service around us. So that made me think of this little poem as we come to communion. This is from uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, it's a call to do the work of God while it is still day and to leave the results to God. Maybe you've heard it. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Can I get an amen? Yeah. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. This is the part that I struggle with. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow, but do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough, but give your best anyway. For you see in the end, it's between you and God. It was never about you and them anyway. And we believe this is what Jesus has done for us. I'm not disengaging from the world because of some hangup, but because of those hangups, because of our sins, because of our brokenness, because of our need, stepped in. And this is the story that we celebrate and the story that we engage in, the story that we say yes to when we say yes to Jesus. So Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another in the words that are on the screen. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. 
and grant us grace to grow in your likeness. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world.